Let's open our Bibles to the book of Hosea, the sixth chapter, if you will, please. I must remind you of the last part of the fifth chapter, from verses 8 through 15, the judgment was announced upon Israel and Judah. And the last verse of the 15th chapter has a wider meaning than just the past judgment upon Israel, which is already done. But let's read the last verse of the 5th chapter to get the connection with chapter 6. And I'll tell you the reason why in a moment. Because this last verse, as we said, has a wider meaning than the past judgment that Israel had upon themselves because of their rejection of God and of His Word. And they had gone into idolatry and sin. But let's read the verse 15 of the 5th chapter. He says, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction they will seek me early. Remember when Jesus came, they rejected Him. He was crucified, resurrected, ascended upon high. And He was waiting and giving them time for repentance. And then chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, and I want you to get this point, the future return and the blessings. The future return and the blessing. And it's very unfortunate that uh, the division comes with the 15th verse instead of the 3rd verse of chapter 6. And you'll see the reason why when we read the first three verses of chapter 6 where we'll be studying tonight. When you think of chapter division, sometimes they're unfortunate that they're that way. The Bible is divinely inspired throughout. Every word of God is pure and He is a shield to those that put their trust in Him, the Bible says. And yet we did not have uh, chapter divisions till about the 12th century. A.D. And then we didn't have verse divisions till maybe the 15th. And so, up until about the 12th century, you just had to look at books in the Bible and find the place where it was written. Remember Jesus, the first sermon that He preached in uh, Luke chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Turn to Luke's Gospel, the fourth chapter. And I'll show you something here. This is the first sermon of Jesus. <clears throat> You'll find that in verse 16 it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Now look, in verse 17, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. It's just a whole book, the prophet Isaiah. Esaias is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew uh, word Isaiah in the Old Testament. And notice verse 17. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, this was no easy task. There was no division in the book of Isaiah. He just had to take the book of Isaiah and find the place where it was written. And uh, fortunately, he was reading from the uh, 61st chapter, now that we know it, of the book of Isaiah. And he, he was reading in verse 18, it says... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to separate liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And He closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of them all, of all them that were in the synagogue, were fastened on Him. And He began to say unto them, This day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears. And what did he read? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So the prophecy was directly concerning Jesus. I think I pointed out 
in times past that in the book of Isaiah, if you look here in Luke 4 verse 19, where it says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, that's where Jesus stopped reading and He closed the book, verse 20. But in the book of Isaiah it says, and the day of vengeance of our God. And there's a reason that Jesus stopped there with to preach the acceptable year of the Lord because the day of vengeance of our God was not yet come. It's yet future even now. And so He would not be able to say, this day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears because the day of vengeance had not come. And so what I want you to see though, back in Hosea chapter 6, to make the point, is that the chapter division here comes at an unfortunate place because these first three verses of chapter 6 really belong to the context of the fifth chapter. Have a, always hold your place now where we're studying. Hold your place there because eventually, unless I get to chasing too many rabbits, we'll come back to it. But uh, I like to give you the details as we go along because I believe it's very important we study and learn what the Scripture has to say. You know, there's... Uh, a lot of folks that say, well, let's just study the New Testament. And you know what the Bible says in Romans 15, verse 4? You know what it says there? It says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, this is all the Old Testament, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, all referring to the Old Testament, might have hope. So if we're going to study the things of the New Testament, it demands almost of necessity that we study the Old Testament to understand the New. And that's why now we're studying the minor prophets, beginning with the book of Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Sephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Linda wanted to start with Malachi, so that's the last one. So we start with the first one. You know, the Bible says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. But anyway... Be that as it may, it has a different application than that, of course. (laughs) But we're starting in in the book of Hosea because we want to study all of the uh, minor prophets. And uh, we'll get back to this now. In chapter 6 of Hosea. So these things that we find in the first three verses show us the future blessings, the future return and blessings of Israel and the the future repentance of the remnant of Israel during the great tribulation period. This is a prophecy that looks forward even further than their deliverance from Babylon in the Old Testament, their repentance in the Old Testament. It looks forward to a future repentance of Israel, which is yet to be, and it's in a, in a distant future yet. Or it's in the future yet. We don't know how far distant future it is. So let's read verses 1 through 3 and we'll get the connection. It says, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for He hath torn and He will heal us. He hath smitten and He will bind us up. There's going to be a day that Israel will realize that God has judged them, that He has afflicted them, that He has torn and He will heal us. He has smitten and He will bind us up. After two days will He revive us. In the third day, He will raise us up again, and we shall live in His sight. There's a future time of their resurrection. Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, His going forth is prepared as the morning, and He shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. He'll revive them and bless them. But that's after their repentance. 
That's after they re- realize that God is the one that has torn and He's the only one that will heal. That's after they realize that He has smitten and He will bind them up. After two days, He will revive us. You know, it's said that Israel would be in, in a sense, 2,000 years in rejection of the Lord. And they have been. And their time has not yet ended. But the third day, the day of their restoration, will be like a resurrection day. In fact, this could, in a, in a, some way, apply to and be seen as the death and resurrection of Christ. And so we find the third day, Jesus was raised again, wasn't he? But in the third day of Israel's rejection of Jesus, they will be raised again and given new life. And that's what Paul speaks of in the book of Romans when he speaks of their return and their restoration. He said that now they're cast aside for a while, but what shall the uh, uh, life of them be but resurrection from, from the dead? Look in the book of Romans, if you will. And we're not going to hurry through our teaching here. We want to try to be as thorough as we can uh, for, for you. Look in the 11th chapter of the book of Romans. And let's begin uh, reading with verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? As speaking of Israel. Romans 11, verse 11. All the whole chapter is good, but we just have to confine our, ourselves to some of the pertinent thoughts. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. For to provoke them, that is the Jews, or Israel, to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, that is, the salvation of the Gentiles, and the diminishing of them be the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness, they will have the fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul was an apostle he's to the Gentiles. He says, I magnify mine office. Now, look, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are in my flesh, the Jews, and might save some of them... At least a remnant of them. Now look at verse 15. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, that is, their rejection for these two days or two thousand years, if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be? Now look. But life from the dead. Isn't that what Hosea says? He says, in the third day, back in Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, after two days will He revive us. They will repent. They will turn back to God. And in the third day He will raise us up and we shall live in His sight. So this is a prophecy of future restoration of the nation, people of Israel. In verse 3, back in Hosea 6, now hold your place where we're studying. I don't intend to carry you too fast, but if you'll hold your place there, maybe I will not. In verse 3, Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, His going forth is prepared as the morning, and He shall come uh, unto us as the rain, refreshing rain, as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. That's what God will be like to them when they're restored. Now then, I want us to consider the section in chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. 4 through 6, and... We have the statement here in verse 4 that is a title kind of for these these verses when it says, What shall I do unto thee? 
Or what will I do with thee? So in verse 4, look at it. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? This is the main thought of verses 4 through 6. In fact, I have it titled that way. It says, O Ephraim, what shall I do to thee? O Judah, what shall I do to thee? Now let's stop there for a moment. Ephraim is sometimes addressed as referring to the whole of Israel. So when he says, O Ephraim, he's speaking to the ten tribes. You know, the kingdom was divided after Solomon's death, the days of his son Rehoboam, and then Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. You find the record of it in the Kings. I believe it's 1 Kings chapter 12. And you'll find that the kingdom was divided. And so you have Ephraim here that represents the whole of Israel, even though Ephraim was especially a tribe of Israel. But it says, O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? Judah is the two tribes. For your goodness is as the morning cloud. Now God says, what am I going to do with you? When God asks himself the question, what shall I do with thee? He's contemplating, how far will I go in judgment? How much mercy will I have to show? When will you repent? When will you turn back to God? I wonder if the application of this thought, what shall I do with thee, could not be applied to Christendom today. And to all of us. God may be saying to all of us, what shall I do with thee? Because look what we've done. We, much like the nation of Israel, have gone astray and have turned away from God. But it says, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as the morning cloud, and as the early dew it goeth away. Have you ever seen the morning cloud come up and you think, oh boy, there's going to be a nice shower and a rain today, and all of a sudden the sun hits it, the heat thereof dispels it, and no rain, nothing. Well, that's the way they were. And what did he say? He says, your goodness is like this morning cloud. It just disappears. Their love for Him was soon vanishing. The Lord grieves and mourns over the condition of the people He loves. He says, what will I do with thee? I'm sure He said it with tenderness and with love. What am I going to do with you? Have you ever had your children? You say, what am I going to do with you? Well, God says to us, we're His children. He said to Israel and He says to us, what am I going to do with you? Uh, you, don't, you won't listen to me. You won't repent. You won't do what I tell you to do. And, you know, and yet He loves us just like we love our children. But it's a dilemma that He, he faces. And so do we. And notice, their love just vanished away. is like a morning cloud and the early dew. It goes away. Have you seen the dew come down and the... When you first get up of a morning, it just covers the grass and it's so sparkly and neat and covers the roses and the flowers and everything and it looks so bright and fresh and all of a sudden the sun hits it and it's gone. That's the way we are. That's the way Israel was. Isn't it an amazing thing how short-lived our goodness is toward God and our love toward God? If you remember one time, the disciples were, uh, some of the followers of Jesus were going away and Jesus looked at the apostles and He says, Will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And maybe it would be good if we'd wake up to the fact we have no other place to go. We just go to the Lord. You know, we sing a song, Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. 
and we we need to realize where our security is and where our refuge is and where our rest is and where our peace is and where our comfort is. And all of us need it. You show me one individual under the sound of my voice tonight that does not need this, boy or girl or man or woman. We need exactly what we're talking about. But notice, in spite of the fact that their love and their goodness was changing, God's love never changes. But what did God do to try to correct them when He said, What shall I do with thee? Look in verse 5. Therefore, because He didn't know what to do with them, He says, Therefore have I hewed them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. What did He say? He said, I had to have the prophets to speak, speak words that was equal to hewing them or to slaying them. And so, uh, the words of, by the words of his mouth, the prophets spoke the words of God. And he had to have the prophets to speak harsh words and words of judgment because of what? Their frivolity, their, their uh, ability, their not ability, but their actions of just being so slow to repent and turn to God. And then, so quickly to turn away from God. It was just like the morning dew and as the goodness of morning cloud. Their goodness was as a morning cloud and and as the early dew it goeth away. So he says, therefore, therefore, because of this, because of their quickness to depart from God, therefore, the word therefore means what it says, because of this. Uh, Have I hewed them by the prophets? I have slain them by the words of my mouth, because the words of God's mouth were put in the the prophets' mouths. And thy judgments are as light that goeth forth. Now look in verse 6. I want you to notice. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Now God had established the sacrifices in the burnt offerings, but they had no repentance along with their sacrifices. We've touched on this before. He was sick of their slain beasts and their sacrifices and all this they would bring because they didn't bring their hearts with it. You know, it's like a person that says, I repent, and then he goes on and does the same thing in the same way and disregards the things of God and does not obey God. And that was their kind of repentance, was their sacrifices. But it was not deep-rooted. You see, God knows if we mean what we say. And they were saying by their sacrifices... What does he say here? He desired mercy and not the sacrifice. And he says, in the knowledge of God more than the burnt offerings. And who said God had established the sacrifices in the days of Moses. And he had established the burnt offerings that were to be offered to him. The burnt offering actually means something that's acceptable to God. It says a sweet-smelling savor. They're called, in, when you study in Leviticus, the offerings, the various offerings... The whole burnt offering. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, I believe it is, and you'll find in verse 2. Let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. We had this uh, part of it this morning in our message. It says, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us. Now, that's what we dealt with this morning. But look at the last part of this verse. Ephesians 5 verse 2. And hath given Himself... For us, Christ's sacrifice was for us. Now look, an offering and a sacrifice to God 
for a sweet-smelling savor. Now look at that. Christ's sacrifice was not only for us, that's a sin offering, but it was a whole burnt offering. It was an offering that was presented to God, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And the whole burnt offerings of the Old Testament were those offerings that were sweet-smelling savors acceptable to God. So there was not only that which Jesus did on the cross for us, as a sin offering, but it was that which He presented Himself as a whole burnt offering acceptable to God. So there was something in it for us, and there was something in it for God. And until you study the offerings in the book of Leviticus, and that's, by the way, that's why it's necessary to study the Old Testament and the New, you would not understand one whit of what I've talked about in Ephesians 5 verse 2, if it were not for a background of what you find in the book of Leviticus, that there is some offerings that are presented to God as a sweet-smelling savor. You follow me? Because here, you would, what would you know about that? A sacrifice for us and, uh, and to God for a sweet-smelling savor. That's where you get the whole burnt offerings. And back in Hosea, look at the, our text again. He says in verse 6, chapter 6, verse 6, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, even though He had established the sacrifices. And then He says, And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Now the burnt offerings were that which was wholly acceptable to God. And He says, Even though you presented yourselves as wholly acceptable unto God, you you refused the knowledge of God, knowledge of His Word. So you see how that God couples the two together and expects us, what does He expect? Us to have genuine repentance instead of just a pretended repentance. That's what it's all about. Now look, verse 7. You have Hosea 6, verse 7. It says, But they like men have transgressed the covenant. There have they dealt treacherously against me. He recognized how they had dealt with him. They have transgressed the covenant. God had a covenant relationship with Israel. They had broken His covenant. They had broken His vows. They had broken every uh, one of His laws. And now, He says, There have they dealt treacherously against Me. Treacherously because they disregarded His Word. They disregarded having mercy. They did not have the sacrifices. Uh, The sacrifices were merely an outward show of what they did not have inwardly. In fact, there are Scriptures that says, God says, I'm sick of your burnt offerings. I'm sick of your sacrifices. And for the very reason we just mentioned. Because their heart was not in it. And there was no repentance involved in it. It'd be like you and I today coming to God. Lord, you know, uh, I, want to, I want to do your will. I want to, you know, I repent of my sins. And turn right around and walk out the door and just go headlong in whatever we want to do. And no genuineness, no sincerity about it. And that's what Israel was doing. They had gone to worship their idols. Now, beloved, Christianity is a serious business. And if we repent of our sins, it means we, we really mean that we're going to change our ways. It's not just on the surface. It reaches deep down into our heart and our will. And when we think about it, you know, Paul told the Thessalonians, I believe it's First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, he says how that you turn to God, turn to God from idols, now listen, to serve the living and the true God. 
Their repentance was genuine. The Thessalonians. You can check it out. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. And then verse 10 says, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So, we turn to God and to serve Him and to wait for Christ's return. Now, look at this again. Uh, Hosea 6, if you will, verse uh, 7. But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. There have they dealt treacherously against me. Gilead is a city of them that work iniquity and is polluted with blood. These holy places of old, historical places that meant a great deal to Israel's past, it says a city to them that work iniquity. Remember in our last lesson or two, we were talking about Gilgal in verse 15 of the fourth chapter. It says, Come ye not up to Gilgal, another one of God's holy places, and neither go up to Beth-Avon. Beth-Avon had now become, instead of Bethel, the house of God, it had become the Beth-Avon, the house of vanity. Nor swear the Lord liveth. That's the fourth chapter, verse 15. He's pointing out how that these, these places that were sacred and holy and that meant a great deal to Israel's past. And here in chapter 6, verse 8, Gilead is a city to them that work iniquity. They had caused them to turn around to the opposite way of being what God had uh, had in memory of their history. And is polluted with blood. Now look at verse 9. And as troops of robbers wait for a man, so, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent. For they commit lewdness. Look at all this involved in verse 9. Troops of robbers wait for a man. This is how they had gone away from God. So the company of priests... Priests murder in the way. Those that were set aside for God's worship and to attend God's worship and service, they what? Murder in the way by consent. And it says, for they commit lewdness. Now he says in verse 10, I've seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is whoredom of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Verses 7 through 11 show us their transgressors. You know, they had been a place of blessing. In favor of God and priests like a band of robbers, even those on their way to a city of refuge, Israel was steeped in sin and they continued therein. It's a sad situation, isn't it? And then verse 11, it says, Also, O Judah, remember now in verse 4, he addresses O Ephraim, and then what shall I do unto thee? And then O Judah, what shall I do to thee? So he'd already been dealing with Israel. Now he's dealing with Judah. Look at verse 11. Also, O Judah, he has set an harvest for thee when I returned the captivity of my people. This is a prophecy here, not of the return from Babylon, the Babylonian captivity in the Old Testament, which they were uh, delivered from and restored to God's favor and fellowship. But it's also a prophecy of the great restoration which is yet to come. There's a great restoration for Israel and Judah in the future. When God restores His people in His prominent covenant mercies, then Judah will also be visited by judgment as it's told and that it will be at the end of the age. I want you to look at Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Acts 1 verse 6, if you will. It says, 
When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So, Israel, even in those days, and the, the apostles were saying, Wilt thou at this time that they had been speaking of, restore again, and he's promised the Holy Ghost to come upon them. In verse 5 he says, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, or in the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. They had been told to wait, from the, wait for the promise of the Father. And then they asked the question, verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They knew there was a time coming when the kingdom would be restored. And what was Jesus' answer to them concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit? He said unto them, verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. As far as restoring again the kingdom to Israel, he says, that's in the future. And you don't know about this. But he says, but ye, verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And that's the part we're concerned with now. It began at Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth which we're talking about now, in which we're in this day and age of grace and the preaching of the gospel, until that time comes that Israel and Judah will be restored. Well, I believe that we'll wait on the seventh chapter because it's a good place to take a break. And uh, we'll pick that up in our our Wednesday night service. Be here. This is going going to be a rich lesson uh, in chapter 7. And eight as we progress along. And so thank you for your patience, your kind attention. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.